0: I am really excited. I want to give a shout out to all the fathers in the building. You guys are awesome. You guys are superheroes. Some of you are, 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 are super ATMs to your family, praise God. I haven't got to that phase yet. Uh, some of you are just great dads, and I want to applaud every single one of you who are in your children's life, who fight to be in your kids' life because they deserve it and they need you. And uh, we, we, see the, we see the product of having hundreds of young adults in our city who've had no fathers. And uh, we thank, why don't you put your hand together one more time for these dads. <laughs> who are doing amazing things in their kids' lives. Some of you guys I really look up to. I know Emma's been a dad way before me. I look up to you, man. He's such a great father. I can't stand watching his Snapchats. I mean, his Instagram videos and his little perfect time. And he's just, he's such a good boy. He just makes it look so easy with like 10 kids. Like, how does he do it? And, and then I got to go a couple of weeks ago on a Monday to see, um, see uh, Minister Carlos here. He was coaching his son, and it was a beautiful thing. I'm just watching him. And I, Isaiah, you know, had a great time there with his dad. And, and it's just seeing the interaction. You got, I look up to you guys. You guys are awesome. And uh, it's just great. Fatherhood is amazing. Amen. But I'm not going to preach on that today, praise God. That was You got your two minutes of fame. We're in the middle of our F-word series, and although it is Father's Day, that's not my F-word today. We've been talking about different things that God laid on my heart to speak to His people about, uh, all of which started with the word F, so we just named it the good F-word series, praise God. And we first talked about faith, praise God, nice try. That was good, that was last week, you're on the right track. Faith. And we talked about faith in response to God's revelation because oftentimes we take Hebrews 11.1 and we say faith is a substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. And we make that the definition of faith, but according to scripture, that's just one facet of the definition. The true definition of faith is how you as a man respond to God's revelation of himself. Like Moses, he met God at a burning bush and responded by freeing a nation. And how do you respond to God's revelation of himself in your life? And we talked about the deeper your revelation and your relationship, the deeper your faith in God. Because you know more about him. I was t- in the first service that yesterday Pastor Carmen came to me and she said, I need somebody to do some work in my house. And I was able to recommend a contractor because I had faith in his work because I saw his workmanship. And because I knew him, I was able to recommend him because I knew His abilities. And so the more you know God, you'll know his abilities in your life. The more you know God and seek after God, you'll be able to say, because I have a revelation of God, I can have a reliance on God. Because you don't want to rely on people you don't know. And the whole church said, amen. Amen. And then we talked about forgiveness. And not forgiveness the way we want to forgive, but forgiveness how God commands us to forgive. How Jesus forgave. And we had our oh my God moment last week when Jesus... He not just forgave us, he forgave us, he justified us, and then he reconciled or restored us. And so we're as Christians, if somebody wrongs you, you have to forgive them and then restore them. You don't forgive them and cut them off. You forgive and restore. You forgive and you reconcile. And then today, I want to talk to you about our next F word, what I believe God is speaking over his church and what he's saying to his people. You know, about 10 years ago, Louis Burgos reached a low point in his life. I think it was actually about twelve years ago. Twelve years ago, Louis Burgos reached a new low in his life when he found himself in jail. Not in prison, just jail. And he had made some stupid decisions that day. And there him and his brother were sitting in the clink in the big house. And I thought to myself, this ain't so bad. Because my dad's coming to get me. I think I'm safer in here. Than I am out there, and then I thought about it even more. I was like, matter of fact, I don't want to be here. As a matter of fact, this place really does suck. Because I can't, I'm, they had a little, it was a tiny cell. My brother was in a cell across from me. It was, I look at the toilet, like, you have to use the bathroom while they can see you. Was, this isn't good. This is a bad situation. And then I missed my court date, had a warrant out for my arrest, had to turn myself in, and it took me down to the courthouse. In the little wagon they got. They transported you. And then they sat me next to real criminals. (laughs) And again, I'm thinking to myself, this is cool. I'm going to get out. You're not. Like one guy was in there for murder. And I'm just like, you're not getting out. (laughs) One guy was in there for arson. He wasn't getting out. They were all talking about like, you know, like they were going to get out soon. I'm like, no, you're not. You're really And it was at that moment I learned to, like, really care about not being in jail. I saw this show on A&E, and it was a really cool concept, but I didn't have time to watch it. I watched, like, the first show, and then I watched, like, the the five minutes of the last show. And in the show, these people allow themselves to be thrown in jail as an experiment, not my cup of tea. Like, I thought it was really dumb. Like, why would you do that? Because they wanted to see... Like to spy on the inmates, like put cameras, you don't need me there. And what happened was, was the lady who voluntarily put herself in jail, when they let her out, she didn't even know when she was getting out. They let her out, and she was so happy, she literally physically ran out of the jail like someone was chasing her. The other, and she, she ran past the van, I was supposed to pick her up. Just running. And then she was like, I don't know why. In the interview afterwards, I just ran, like, we saw, we saw you run. Ran right past everything. Like, she almost kissed the ground. But it's not till you lose your freedom that it becomes something valuable to you. And I want to talk to you today about what the Bible says about freedom in your life. You see, freedom is a concept that we sometimes don't really grasp the fullness of. But today, my hope and prayer is in the next 20 minutes, you're going to have a full definition for your life of what freedom means for you. Come on, why don't we read this verse to you, and then we're going to pray, and it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, a very profound verse, yet very simple verse. And the apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'm going to read that one more time. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Come on, let's bow our heads again right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence just thanking you for the time of worship. Lord, thanking you for the fathers that are in the room today who are raising up godly young children Young men and women who know you, God, because their fathers are leading and guiding them. Bless those fathers in Jesus' name. As we go forward, God, that you would open our spiritual ears. Convict our hearts. If you speak to us today, that we would not discard the words you've given us. But, God, that we would put it to work in our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the church says, amen, amen. You beat me to it. Praise God. Shout out to the cafe team and your iced coffees. Amazing. If you didn't venture over to the coffee table, they are now featuring iced coffee. Moving up at Citywide. Keep in mind, uh, my last announcement, next week we won't be here. We have one service again. We're back at the Klein Memorial Auditorium with a baptism. Amen. And I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on it. We should be there for the rest of the year. Praise God. Freedom. Man, freedom is awesome. A lot of Christian songs about freedom. Remember this one song, I am free to run. We used to run around the church. We are going nowhere. We just, I am free to dance. We would dance because we were free. Nobody could tell me what to do because I was free. Until you go home and daddy don't want you running in the house. You're only free to run in church. But freedom, what does it mean? Honestly, what does freedom mean? We, We see throughout history that freedom takes on different definitions and different type of aspects in our lives. It wasn't just 245 years ago that our country, 13 colonies, fought for freedom against what they believed was a tyrannical government. And then years later, they declared their freedom. In 1776, we declared we're free. We don't care what you say. To be able to live with our rights and do what we think is right. If you look back further in history, you see a man named Spartacus, and he led a slave rebellion for freedom. Because we see throughout history freedom is something that people are are, are are ready to fight for. Remember Mel Gibson in Braveheart while he's leading the Scottish people to free all you men saw Braveheart. Yes. He said, you can't take my freedom. I was like, Yeah. I'm just sit in your screen. I love that movie. It's great. Because the concept of fighting for freedom sounds amazing. It wasn't long ago that we fought for freedom in this country against slavery. Freedom is big and it's bold and it's something that we all need. If you read even further back in history, you read of all the Germanic tribes who would fight against the Roman Empire to keep their freedom from this government who tried to subdue them. And freedom has always been something people are ready to die for. Read the stories of Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad and how she would lead slaves away from plantations and they were ready to die for their freedom. Because they rather live free than live as slaves to somebody else. But what does freedom mean in the biblical sense, in the Bible's system of context and belief? And why is it such a big and good word that God would want us to hear about it? You see, in Scripture, we also read of different types of freedom. We read of political freedom. We read of freedom from slavery. We read of freedom from distress. That was your chance to say amen. Amen. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. We read a lot about a lot of freedom in the Bible. But when Jesus came, he revealed the deepest, most profound level of freedom. And that's freedom from the power of sin over your lives. Freedom from the power of sin. And Paul shows us in his writings to the church in Rome... This very thing. And he says in Romans 6, verse 6, and I'll read it for you. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, meaning Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin, meaning your body was ruled by sin, might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, for death no longer has a mastery over him. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin one time for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of your body as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's point number one, really simple. Because freedom reigns in me, sin cannot. Because freedom reigns in me, sin cannot. Paul is making clear some stuff, and he tells the believers that you're supposed to be dead to sin. In this context of speaking, in this very verse, he's talking about water baptism. He says that when you go down into the water, it is symbolic that you are also dying with Christ. You are going down into death with Christ. Are you hearing me so far, church? He says that you are done with Christ Jesus. When he was on that cross, he didn't take on all the sins and every little sin. He took on the nature of sin itself. He took on sin as a whole. He took on the nature of sin, the, the actual entity of sin, and he put it on his shoulders. And then he died. And he paid the price for our, somebody say, sins. He takes it on himself on behalf of the world. And the Bible says that in verse 7, and because anyone who has died with Christ has been set free from sin. So Jesus dies and he pays the debt sin and so what john or rather paul is saying in this verse is that because jesus paid the price if we take down the dive to water baptism and we symbolically die with christ we also have the benefit of the death of christ and the benefit of the death of christ is that we become dead to sin because jesus died to sin once and for all in other words what he is saying is that you no longer have a debt hanging over your head because dead men don't pay bills And if you died to your sin like Jesus died to sin, then the power of sin is no longer over you. I told you last week that I had Merrimad calling me about a bill, but I paid that bill off. You can't call me no more about my bill because it's been paid off. You don't got the power or the right to keep on bugging me. And Jesus, rather Paul, is saying here that you are dead to sin. Like a man who has passed away at at home in a reclining chair with a cigarette next to him and with a bottle of liquor next to him. You can't touch that because you're dead to sin. You're dead. I found it crazy. I went to one funeral. And I went to this funeral. And and it was a nice funeral. I didn't know the people. They just called me to do the funeral. But whoever it was that that died, they all loved them. And so it is. And that's how it goes. And and they took and they bought a bottle of E&J. And a pack of Newports. And they stuffed it into his casket. And I was like, he's not going to use that. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I was thinking in my mind, like, he's dead to sin. He ain't going to use that. You see, you should be so dead to sin that when the enemy throws it at you, there's no reaction. And then... Paul's like, well, if you died with Christ, you're claiming Christ, then you are also dead to sin. This is mind-blowing. Like, Are you kidding me? I'm dead to sin too? What he's saying is that sin used to have a mastery over you, but now the power is broken. The power is broken. You're alive in God now. He says, therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Because where freedom reigns, sin can't reign. We've been set free from the power of sin in our lives because freedom has come into us through Jesus. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. He says, do not let sin reign. You see, before you knew God, you were under the power of sin. But now that you are in Christ Jesus, you have a choice, church. And when sin comes at you, you can only fall into sin if your choices are being made wrong. Because sin has no power over you. Are you with me today? And we too were once depraved and in sin, stuck as a slave to it until that precious light of Jesus shined on the darkness of our hearts. Until that precious light of our master came and he set us free from the bondage and the power of sin. And now I have real freedom. Freedom that is not just mediocre and freedom that is not just political, but freedom that is spiritual. I now have a new master because death has been defeated In Christ, and sin no longer has power. You see, I'm no longer a slave to the sinful nature. I'm no longer a slave to the works of the enemy. I am free from sin itself. Because Jesus dealt sin a blow that it can never recover from. He absolutely defeated it. And Paul makes it clear that we're dead to sin, are you with me today? I would challenge you that God says that to every single one of you today. You are dead to sin, and I I, I know what you're thinking. In part, you're probably thinking, "Well, pastor, <laughs> you're a great guy. Pastor, you say some cool stuff. But if I'm dead to sin, then why do I feel like so attracted to it? Oh, my fault. I forgot that you guys are really saved, and you'll never fall." Pastor, why, if I'm dead to sin, why does sin keep on tripping me up? I wish I had an honest church. Pastor, if I'm dead to sin, then why do I feel like I can't get away from sin? Even though Jesus paid the price, why do I feel like it still has power over me? If Jesus paid the price, why are so many believers still struggling with sin? If it's got no power over you, why do you still fall into it? Got real quiet. And before you think about somebody else's sin, I want to get you to focus on your own sins. As Christians, we got a a really bad tendency to like really minimize our own faults and maximize the others, the faults of others. We think that because somebody sins differently than us, that we're okay. But you know that different sins lead to an identical hell you know that every every private sin still leads to a public hell and God is like trying to challenge the church you today that we all have some things in us that we shouldn't be having and we're dealing with some things that we shouldn't be dealing with and Paul says for freedom Christ has set you free stand firm therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery He's talking to this Galatian church about false doctrines and false teachings that people are bringing into the church. And they're trying to get people enslaved back into the law system of Moses. He's like, no, you've got to be free from that bondage. But also the other bondage is the bondage of sin because the power of the law is sin. Because we're sinful by nature. And Paul's like right, telling this church that you've been set free. Here's point number two. It's really simple, but you've got to get this. It says, I've been set free so that I can live free. Like, I've been set free to live free. We shouldn't carry sin with us anymore. For Christ died to set us free from sin. Christ set me free. And not free to do whatever I want. Free to do whatever God desires. That's real freedom. Not to do what I want. To do what God desires. Rather, we should do and give thanks to Christ for our freedom And live according to his will and live unselfishly. And don't keep on appealing to our old sin nature. Don't indulge in your old ways. Don't keep on falling back into the old sin. Don't be bound. Don't be so free that you entangle yourself again. I know some people who are so free, they fall back into sin all the time. You know, I used to be a drunk, but now that I can just drink. Because I'm free, and I'm saved by grace. Well, that's all true, but just because you could do it doesn't mean it's beneficial for you. Case in point, I can go and be a chaplain at a jail and slap a prisoner. And it probably won't go well for me. I'm little. <laughs> I could do it, not going to be good. You know, like, like, like young man... I'm free now, so let me go hang out with that girl who I used to sleep with. I'm free now. And then you find yourself now slipping back into fornication because you can't get past this new freedom you have. And Paul's like, it's for freedom. That almost sounds self-explanatory. No, you've been set free to live free. But why do so many of you choose to be bound by sin, by brokenness? I've been set free. To live free. Oh, but pastor, don't judge me when I do sin because we're all fallen. But just because everybody's fallen doesn't mean you can keep on falling. Because God is calling us to live up to a standard of righteousness. One we can never achieve apart from his spirit, but he's still calling us to live holy. See, I don't know what you've been told, but this church, we believe in right living with God. We believe in living holy before a holy God and always putting our best foot forward. We believe in what the scripture teaches us that we're free from the bondage of sin. And here's the thing you don't realize. Let me give you a key. You don't realize that before you knew Christ, you were bound by sin. The Bible says that sin was your master. And like every good servant, you obeyed your master. And so your master said, fornicate, so you did it. And your master said, go get drunk, and you did it. And your master said, gossip, and you did it. And your master said, be violent and be wicked, and you did it. And your master would leave you deeper and deeper. And you love to please your master, so you did it. Because every good servant wants to please their master. So it's why the Bible says, become a slave of righteousness. That you might obey when your righteous master says, be holy as I am holy. you got to do this stuff till you learn to love it because it makes your master happy. You've got a new master and his name is Jesus. He is the Lord over your life. The word Lord means master. He is the master over your life and you've got to live according to what he says. This tells me something. This tells me that every time I sin, it is because I am cooperating with my old master. I am being an accomplice to my old master. Because my new master gives me a different story. He says, do not offer any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness. I love that verse. I love that phraseology. Because he says, do not offer. You see... A couple of minutes ago when the basket went around, many people offered a gift. see somebody in need, you might offer to help them. Likewise, he says, don't offer your body as an instrument of sin. I love that word instrument. It could mean so many things, but I always revert back to music when he says, don't offer your life as an instrument to sing Satan's songs. Don't let Satan play you like a piano to go into sin. Don't let the enemy have this strength in your life when it's already been defeated. And so every time that we fall into sin, it's because we want to. We choose to and we accept it. Because the power has been broken. Well, pastor, it's kind of tough. It's kind of hard. No, you actually just have to get up and just say no. I won't be, before you couldn't say no because you were a slave to sin. Paul goes on, he says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Don't Don't you realize what sin does? Sin is no longer your master, so sin can't command you any longer. Hear me, church. Sin cannot command you any longer. All he can do is suggest to you what to do. And if you agree with what it suggests, you fall into sin. I'll prove it to you. You're driving down the highway. Somebody cuts you off and sin says, Stephen, you know what I would do? I would just give him the bird. Because they have no business cutting you off. They don't know who you are. Driving like an idiot like that. And so we say, that's right, boom, flip the bird. You all thought I was going to do it, sinners. (laughs) Because you then become an accomplice to sin. It has no power. All it can do is suggest to you. Here's the job of sin to make you think it's you thinking. Late at night, you at some girl's house, not you. Because you're married and you're holy and you're a good man of God, but I'm going to use my example. Hey, Carlos, you should turn back the clock, baby. Show them who the stallion is. <laughs> Go for the ear. always worked. And you're like, you know what? I will. And then you fall back into sexual sin because you participated and cooperated with sin. You walk by that gas station that you always used to walk by. You should buy some cigarettes. Keep on poisoning your body. Like, you know what? I'm stressed out. Yeah, you are stressed out. That's true. You've been gaining weight because you stopped smoking. That's true. I want to lose some weight. (laughs) Go buy a leucine. And you cooperate with, you hearing me? Sin says, sin says, you were better off when you were living with that girl even though she's not your wife. You had more money. It was easier. It was comfortable. You spent less money out because she cooks for you. In more ways than one. Why don't you just go back? God will understand your financial situation. But what sin doesn't account for is that your God is a provider. In that your God will meet your need every time, and your God would rather see you in need than in sin. Because when you're in sin, and He's already see this, is what you don't understand? Help me, help me, help me teach you today. Here's what you don't understand: that when you're in sin as a believer, He can't do anything else for you. He's done it all. God would rather see you in need of financial assistance by His mighty provision than to see you neck deep in sin as a believer because he can't do anything for you he's done it all and he needs you to accept what he's already done (laughs) but when you continuously choose sin over God it's because sin is more pleasurable than God in your heart Isaiah clap that's what I'm talking about that's right Bappi. that's right because we love our sin, so we keep going back to it Like that girl, that guy in high school, you just couldn't get past. When everybody else broke your heart, they were always there to catch you for that one night. Sin will only get alongside your life to get you to try to agree and accept and cooperate with him. Because sin has no power over you. He's like a puppeteer pulling your strings. Trying to get you. To continue in the ways that God has called you out of. And so sin says, your coworker has no right to talk to you like that. So tomorrow, you're going to bust up in that office. You're going to cuss them out and let them know. And if you get fired, oh, well, your God's a provider. That's not God. That's sin. And sin says for you to agree. You know why? Because sin misses being your master. Sin is like that guy or that girl who never appreciated you. And once you got some good old guy, take care of your bills, girl. Rubs your crusty feet. He pays for a full pedicure, even though your little toe don't got no nail. That's a good man right there. I'd ask for a discount. Excuse me. She only got four toenails. Can I get one-fifth of the price? That's what I would do. That's just me. But sin is that jilted lover. Sin is that jilted master. And sin, sin continuously, and sin tries to make you think it's really you thinking. It'll be like, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Remember, remember the old days when, when life was really good? because you were was, you was selling drugs in the street and you have more money, maybe you should be a street pharmacist again. <laughs> like, you know what? That's so true. Yeah, as long as I give God some of it, he won't mind, right? And sin tries to get you to cooperate with your old mentality. And sin... Sin tries to get you to feel like you were justified in doing what you did. And then sin tells you stuff like, well, stuff happens. It's going to be okay. He keeps on telling stuff like, oh, you're saved by grace. Which is true. What he doesn't tell you is he has his hooks in you. And now he becomes your master again because you listen to him more than you listen to God. And here's how you know who your master is. Who do you listen more to? listen more to God or the work of the enemy sin climbs alongside your life and says you know what I would do I don't care what I would do because I got me into a lot of trouble I want to know what Jesus would do and Paul says in Galatians 5 16 so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh you see because the flesh meaning our lustful desires our human nature of sin it loves to do things that are contrary to God He says, walk by the Spirit. You might say, well, how do I walk by the Spirit? Let me give you three really quick things about how to walk by the Spirit. You ready? You should write these down. Number one. Number one, the readiness, or rather, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) involving the Holy Spirit, is a desire to hear God. It's how you walk by the Spirit. A desire to hear God. Sometimes we don't want to hear God. Sometimes we go into a situation and we call people just to hear what we want to hear. But the moment they tell you what God might think... Mm, kind of rough. They have to have a desire to hear, God. Number two, a readiness to obey God's word. Are you going to obey what God says or not? I love my kids to death, but my oldest, she's, she's hard of obeying. You call her, a Aria. I got to change your poop. No, I want it there. You're, you're pooped. I want to change your diaper. No. Doesn't have a good grip yet on obeying. She's two, she's working on it. She's fine. Some of us are the same way with God. We're like 30. God's like, don't go down that path. You've been there before. Oh, but the moment feels good. Yeah, come on. Let's obey God's word. And number three, this is really big, a sensitivity to discern between your feelings and God's promptings. Because oftentimes, I feel the Lord. I don't care what the Lord you feel. Your feelings got you falling into sin. What is the Lord saying? What is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? Because your feelings are liars. I've been set free to live free. So why am I bound? You're choosing it. You're choosing to be controlled and guided by the work of the enemy rather than the Holy Spirit. Let the word of Christ be in your heart, in your mind. Freedom is for you. It's for freedom he sets you free, not for selfish desires. He sets you free so that you would be on fire for him. I love what 1 Peter 2.16 says. Live as free pe- people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for sin. Don't use your freedom to cover your sin. Well, I'm free. I could just do what I want. Christians have freedom in Christ. But the apostle defined freedom in a very narrow capacity not this wide thing of doing whatever we want. He actually uses it in a different context. He says you're free to do what God wants. Because before you were free to only do what sin wanted, but now I'm free to also do what God wants. Mind equals blown. We think that freedom means do what you want. And God says, no, freedom means do what I want. I set you free to claim you for myself. You are not your own. He says, use your freedom to love me. Use your freedom to be joyful. Use your freedom to reach the highest potential in Christ that you can reach. Use your freedom. Your freedom from eternal guilt. Your freedom from damnation. Your freedom from sin. Use it to honor God, to love God, to treat people right. And let your freedom sing of God's power, His joy, and His love. He says, for freedom, you were were called to freedom, my brothers. Verse 13 of Galatians 5. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. What a beautiful passage. He says, you were called to freedom. You see, one day God called you out of darkness into the light. One day God said, one day God said, hey, Eddie, Eddie, come, come. One day God said, Diana, come. One day God said, Emmanuel, come. I think, Emma, you were sitting in that same seat but just turned when he called you. When the seats were still facing this way, he said, Emma, come home to me. And God, he said, you were called to freedom. I'll put it in another word. You were called to do God's will. Here's point number three. Freedom is for serving, not sinning. Freedoms for serving God, not sinning against God. I love how Paul puts it. He says, don't let your sin, your freedom rather, become an opportunity for sin. If I could just build this out for you. This word opportunity, right, it it, kind of means a couple different things. And they explain it like this. Don't let your freedom become a springboard for sin. It says, don't let your freedom become a base of operations for your sin. Don't let your freedom become ground zero for why you're able to sin. Instead, serve. And then he tells you serve through love. He gives you not just what to do, but he tells you how to do it. He says, do it in love. And you know what he means by love? Jesus said in the Gospel of John, before he left his disciples to be crucified, he said, love one another as I have loved you. Meaning, look past your faults. I look past your hurts. I look past your sin. I look past every imperfection about you. You've got to look at people the way God sees them. You ain't got no right to see people the way you want to see them. You've got to see them how God sees them. And once you can do that, then you can serve their needs. Then you can meet their needs. You can serve them because you love them like God loves them. He says, don't let this freedom become an entanglement to you. Some of you got tripped up on freedom. Some of you got bound again because you were too free in your mind. And you thought that freedom meant do what you want, When it really means do what God says. Because before, you had no right to obey him. He wasn't your master. But today, he is your master. And he says, use, use your freedom not to sin, but to serve. Serve others. Parents, use your freedom to serve your children in the Lord. Raise them up as God-fearing young men, young women of God. Husbands, use your freedom to serve your wives in love as Christ loves the church. To serve her as her provider. To serve her in every area of your marriage. Be her protector when she needs it. Be her confidant. Be her encourager. Likewise, wives, serve your husbands. Not just the first plate of food. I'm not talking about that. Serve them in love, covering their mistakes. Be a helpmate, not a hindermate. What that means? It means maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. Don't minimize their strengths and maximize their weaknesses. Be of service to them. I'll cover you because I love you. Serve in the house of God. Serve in the community, finding the homes where they do feedings and serve with your children. Me and my family, we used to serve at soup kitchens father would take us to the rescue mission, and he would take us in the truck when I was a kid, and we would go to PT, and we would serve, and we would be a part of the Night Runners ministry on the east side, and we would have a mobile truck of food, and they would come out, they would drop tables and games for the kids, and we would serve the community. And although my dad was a pastor, he wasn't beyond getting behind the stove with a ladle of soup and pouring it out for the kids, because as a Christian, you never get past the position of servant for the master. I want to appeal to your heart today that if you find yourself bound by sin, that it's because you've chosen to obey it more than God. That if you find yourself still cooperating with the works of darkness, that you've yet to have a true revelation of Jesus. Don't minimize your sin and look at others. God still like, he hates all sin. He hates the lies, he hates the thievery, he hates the gossip, he hates the immorality, he hates every evil thing. And wishes should say, God, I don't want to be like that. I want to love people the way you love them and treat them the way you want to be treated. I want to challenge you to check your heart today to see if you're really living in freedom or you have fool's goals. Living in a false sense of freedom, believing you have something special when in truth you have another reason to sin. God says, No, we've got to live free. Come on, stand with me this early afternoon. Wanna be just for another minute or so? Freedom. Come on, do you want it? People have died fighting for it, including. Your Lord, Jesus, your master. Won the victory over your freedom. By defeating sin in your life. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. The worship team's about to worship. And we're just believing that God wants to do a work in you. Come on, with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Reverencing the presence of the Lord. Because he was with us in our worship and he's with us even now. As many here today, you might still be caught up in the works of the flesh, bound by the works of the enemy. Because you've allowed your freedom to cause you to be entangled again. The epistle of 2 John or 1 John, excuse me, declares to us in chapter 2, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. Just to forgive us of our sins. Come on, maybe some other entity is sitting on the seat of authority in your heart and it's not God anymore. I don't know about you, church. I'd rather be uncomfortable and suffering but in the hands of God than to be pleased with my sin. I don't want to be in love with something God hates. I don't want to be in love with something that killed the son of my master. I want to be free. Living in freedom. And I believe that God told me to preach this word over the church because so many have lost your sense of freedom, been caught in this false freedom where you've bound yourself back up in sin. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, you see every heart, you know every area of darkness that remains in us. You know, every haughty spirit, you know, every prideful heart where sin puffs itself up. You know, every religious spirit, God, that thinks that our righteousness is based on how good we think we are, when in reality, God, we are just as bad as the next person. And we're only saved by grace. Father, many of us have used our freedom to become lazy in your work our freedom to make decisions contrary to your will. Used our freedom to walk back into the slavery of sin. For some of us, Lord, the sin that we suffer is knowing to do right and not doing it. For your word declares that that in and of itself is a sin. Lord, let us not be tangled back up. For Lord, you have set us free. And it is for freedom You set us free. Come on church with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you feel that the Lord is convicting your heart of sin. You've allowed sin to reign in you. You've allowed your mouth to run. Your heart to run wild. Your legs to be quick to walk into the work of the enemy. Your hands quick to manifest the Deeds of darkness. But you want to walk in that freedom. Come on, if that's you, you're lifting your hand as high as you can. That's right, that's right. Come on, hands are going up all over the place. You're lifting your hands as high as you can as a sign of surrender, a sign of brokenness. Thank God, I don't want that no more. I'm choosing you. I will obey your word. I will listen to you, God. You are my God. You are my salvation. You are my master. Begin to call out to him right now in your own words. Begin to tell him, Lord, I want your freedom. I accept your freedom right now. I know that you've broken the power of sin over my life. I know that you've already completed the work in me. Jesus, work in your people. Sin God break our cooperation with the enemy, God. Come on, you're a strong, mighty God. Work in me today. Come on, we confess our sin to you, Father God. Are walking away from